Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Uh, Well, I want to welcome you to the seventh and final week of our series called The Meaning of the Cross. Uh, Why seven weeks? Because seven is God's favorite number. Uh, And that's just why we do that. So we spent the last six weeks thinking about the cross of Christ. Uh, My sincere hope is that uh, we've not only learned kind of new ways of seeing and understanding the cross, but that the Spirit of God has been able to help us and has stirred our hearts and so that we might live in more cruciform ways. Cruciform is just a fancy kind of theological word to say our hope is that our lives look like the character that is of God that is revealed at the cross. Uh, And so that's my sincere hope and prayer is that this has been formational for us, not just in our thinking, but in in our in our the ways that we live. Um, I do want to mention that what we've talked about is certainly not exhaustive. The cross certainly means more things and has more implications Uh, for our lives and what we have talked about uh, over the course of this series. Um, On Ash or not Ash Wednesday, but on Good Friday, just a couple days ago, uh, we, as as folks were leaving, uh, we gave them just a little like pocket nail uh, that had a card behind it that had all seven of the meanings of the cross uh, from the series. There are a few of those left, so if that's of interest to you as you leave Uh, This morning, make sure and stop by one of our tables here in our foyer and just grab that little pocket token, that little pocket nail uh, and the card that kind of reminds us of all the meanings of the cross that we've explored over the course of this series. Uh, But what we want to do today is we want to turn our attention to the resurrection. And and I've said uh, throughout the series, I began the series this way, that you can't talk about resurrection without talking about the cross. We also can't talk about the cross without also talking about the resurrection. Those two go together. Uh, And so we're finalizing our series on the cross by talking about the resurrection. And I want to read uh, Hebrews chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. Just a couple verses this morning. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power... Of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's an old hymn that dates back to at least the 6th century. And it's referred to as the Paschal Troparion. Or also known as the Christos Anesti. The lyrics of this very short hymn uh, were actually lyrics uh, that inspired some of our songs this morning. You may recognize them, but the lyrics of the old classic hymn are this. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and on, and on those in the tombs bestowing life. And on those in the tombs bestowing life. Uh, The writer of Hebrews and the writer of this ancient hymn reveal to us this incredible truth of Easter. Because of the resurrection, the death of Christ was actually the death of death. 
Or you could say it this way, Easter is the day that death died. Um, on this Easter Sunday morning, uh, let's get some theological help from a uh, Ukrainian iconographer. That just feels appropriate in the time that we're in. Let's get some theological help from an Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian iconographer. Uh, her name is Ivanka Dimchuk. Ivanka Dimchuk. Um, she's actually, uh, she's on Instagram, if that's your gig. So um, you can find her there. But um, iconography for both the modern church and the ancient church is not mere decoration. Uh, but iconography is visual theology. Okay, I want to say that again. Iconography is not for the church mere decoration. Uh, but iconography is visual theology. And so to help us understand and grasp the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ on this Easter day, I want to point out some amazing truths uh, from this work of visual theology. First of all, in this painting and in many other resurrection icons, the gates of hell are broken at the feet of Jesus and break in the shape of the cross. And you'll see that there. Uh, this is true for many resurrection icons that under the foot of Jesus being trampled on are the gates of hell, but they have fallen into the shape of a cross. This visual theology tells us uh, that through, it is through the cross that Jesus enters into death in order that he might destroy death through resurrection. Now, we still experience the, the grief of death and those who die. We miss them. But the good news of Easter is that death does not have the final word in our lives. Amen. And so the question is, how can we talk about the cross, the meaning of the cross on Resurrection Sunday? It's right there. That's how we talk about the cross on Resurrection Sunday. It's because it's through the, through the cross that Jesus enters into death in order that he might destroy death through resurrection. And this relationship between the cross and the resurrection uh, is really important. And it points us to this really important truth, and that is this. The crucifixion of Jesus is not a defeat that is to be overturned later by resurrection. Rather, the crucifixion is a victory that is revealed by resurrection. Ooh, that's good. So I'll say it again, okay? Uh, the crucifixion is not a defeat that is only later to be overturned by resurrection. The crucifixion is a victory that is revealed through resurrection. See, it's easy to think of the cross as a, a, a defeat that is in need of reversal, a defeat that needs to be overturned, but that is not the case. That when we look at the cross through the lens of resurrection, and that's really what we've been doing, right? All this during Lenten season, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the, cro the cross through the lens of faith and through the lens of resurrection. And what we have seen is that it's actually what is ugly on the surface is made quite beautiful. And what maybe seems like a defeat is all along the victory of God in Christ. Amen. For it was by the way of the cross that Jesus enters into death in order to defeat it. Now, 
I want you to notice also in the painting that as the gates of hell are trampled under Jesus' feet in the shape of a cross, there's all sorts of other things underneath those gates. You can't tell what those are. You're probably too far away. The image quality not good enough. But in fact, those things underneath there are broken keys and broken shackles. Having entered into death by way of the cross and defeated death, Jesus now holds the keys of death and of hell. Did you know that Jesus preaches his own resurrection sermon? It's found in resurrection, or it's found in, not, not in resurrection chapter one, but in Revelation chapter one. It's like on Easter Sunday, just resurrection just flows out of the, off the lips. So uh, it's found in Revelation chapter one. It says this, do not be afraid. For I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and to Hades. It's interesting when you, um, when you give the keys away. When you transfer the ownership of a house, you leave the keys behind. Because you are no longer in charge of that place. You no longer have authority in that place. Which is to say that to hold the keys is to hold authority over a place. But to give away the keys or to lose the keys is to essentially have no more authority in that place. And so by way of the cross and resurrection, Jesus has taken the keys uh, to death and hell, and the evil one no longer holds them. Amen. Right? And what does Jesus do with these keys that he has come into possession? Does he lock people into death? No. He liberates those who are trapped inside. What does Jesus do with the keys to hell? He overcomes it by his grace. What does Jesus do with keys to sin? He frees those who are in bondage to it. And so the broken shackles and keys underneath the gates of hell fallen into the shape of a cross is visual theology telling us that in Christ there is victory over sin and death. Amen. Which is to say that the resurrection is not just Christ's personal victory. But rather, it is victory over sin and death for all of those who are in Christ. Amen. I want to say that again. Uh, I'm finding myself to have to repeat a lot of things. Okay, so let's get... <laughs> come on, are you with me, right? The resurrection is not just Christ's personal victory. It's victory over sin and death for all those who are in Christ. Rarely in Christian iconography is the resurrection depicted with Jesus rising alone. Just let that soak in for a moment. Rarely, hardly ever, in works of visual theology is Jesus depicted as rising from the dead all alone. As though it were just some sort of personal victory of his. But rather, more often than not, the norm for Christian iconography is that visual theologians depict Jesus being raised with others 
while holding hands with Adam and Eve or humanity and life. Adam, the word Adam, means humanity. Eve means life. And so here's Jesus being raised from the dead, holding hands with humanity and life. This is, points us to the deep truth that the, the resurrection of Christ is not just some sort of personal victory for Jesus, but rather it is Jesus rescuing humanity and life out of the gates of hell and sin and evil. Amen. Right? Sometimes we think of the resurrection, if we think of the resurrection in purely personal terms, that Jesus kind of like uh, just had this personal victory over sin and death, then uh, we might all these centuries later just say like, whoa, Jesus, cool trick. Right? But, but if, if, in fact, Jesus is raised from the dead and it has implications for all of those who are in Christ or it has implications for all of humanity and life, then we might get groups of people together on Resurrection Sunday and celebrate, right? And so it isn't just this sort of personal victory uh, for Jesus. The resurrection of Christ has everything to do with you and I. And so through the cross, Jesus enters death. Then through the resurrection, he rescues those who have been subject to it. Remember, the cross is a victory revealed by resurrection. So Jesus does not enter death as a victim or as captive or as prisoner or in defeat, but rather Jesus invades death with divine life and death simply cannot hold it. And so back to the painting. On Jesus' right is Adam or humanity. On his left is Eve or life. And here is something that will challenge you. Adam is not holding Jesus' hand. Jesus is grabbing Adam's wrist. Do you see it? Adam is not holding Jesus' hand. Jesus is grabbing Adam's wrist. So often we frame salvation as something that we do. That we reach out to God, we pray a prayer, we get our act together, etc., etc., etc. But in visual theologies of the resurrection, it isn't Adam, it isn't humanity reaching out to God, it is Jesus grabbing hold of humanity. Amen. Right? The work of salvation is a God-initiated rescue. And the salvation that is made available to us in Christ is God essentially saying, I got you. Right? I got this. I got you. Salvation is a God-initiated project. Adam isn't holding Jesus' hand. Jesus is grabbing the wrist of Adam. Eve, or life, is reaching out. And holding Jesus' hand. And so perhaps the visual theology is telling us that Christ is the initiator of salvation. That God in Christ has grabbed a hold of those who are trapped by sin and death and said, I got you. But then there is still a necessary 
and appropriate response for us to the initiation of God. Now behind Adam are biblical figures. King David, King Solomon, John the Baptist, and the Virgin Mary. Behind Eve are unnamed figures. Regular people. Regular folks. Just like you and I. You all look very good in your Easter best. But we're all just regular folk, right? And so that behind Eve are unnamed figures, regular people, men and women. And so the artist essentially trying to say that we are included in the image. That we are beneficiaries of the work of salvation on the cross and the resurrection. Represented not only by our father and mother, humanity and life, but also represented by the people that are behind Eve, the everyday folks. We are included in the work of salvation of Christ and Jesus' victory over sin and death. And it has everything to do with you and I. It has everything to do with your everyday, routine, messed up, just trying to make it and get by kind of life. And so you might ask, well, what does it have to do with my life? And I would try to sum it up in a simple paragraph to end my short Easter message, and it's this. You are the beloved of God. And your innermost self is stamped with a divine image that was called good. But the world is a broken place. And the pull of sin is strong. So strong that each and every one of us have found the pull of sin irresistible. And at one point in our lives, at multiple places, we have gone against the will of God for our own lives and for the world. And that sin has left us subject to death and prone to evil. But thanks be to God that Jesus the Christ holds the keys of sin and death and evil and has pulled us out of the pit. And so there is this sense that God has initiated out of God's great love for humanity. God has initiated, he's reached out, he's grabbed and he said, I got you. And then in response, we reach out and we say, thank you. And we respond in worship. And we respond by aligning our lives and placing our trust in the way of Jesus, believing that the way of Jesus and the kingdom of God is, in fact, the most rewarding, the most fulfilling way to experience life. For Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it to the fullest. There's all sorts of narratives in culture and in the world that will try to be counter-narratives to the good news of Jesus Christ. Counter-narratives that say that that life is most fulfilling when you get the most, when you have the most power, when you are this and that and all of these things. And yet Jesus says it is not those ways, it's the ways of forgiveness and love and mercy. It's the ways of connection and relationship. It's the ways of generosity that are most fulfilling and the ways to have life.
And so after God initiates salvation in our lives, perhaps the best response is to place your faith or your trust in the way of Jesus, which is to say that I believe that the teachings of Jesus, the way of Jesus, the kingdom of God is the way to go. And so I'm going to do my best, number one, to learn about it, but then number two, to live according to those truths. And so that's the invitation this Sunday, this resurrection day is to see the great truth of visual theology. Let's bring it up again. To see the great truth of visual theology that the gates of hell have been trampled over by the cross and that Jesus has overcome death and he is grabbing humanity and life in his victory. And we then are invited to be part of it. A lot of ways that you can do that. One is you can make a decision in your heart. You can say a prayer. You can say a prayer out loud. I'm not real big on specifying how that needs to happen. But I do encourage you to come to a place in your life where you commit to living and trusting the ways of Jesus. So let's say a word of prayer, and then I'm going to lead us to the Lord's table today. Gracious God, you have come alongside of us in our plight. You have initiated salvation out of your great love for humanity. And even though we've been lost in the ways of sin and cycles of violence and cycles of unforgiveness and and all of these harmful cycles both to ourselves and to others, God, we find great rest in knowing that you can rescue us from those cycles. That there is a different way of living that is available to us if we will place our faith, place our trust in you. And then then you would empower us by your Holy Spirit. And so God, today, wherever people are at today, maybe they have placed their faith and their trust in you and they, they want to live. God, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would empower them to do so. Maybe there's some today who are uncertain about all of this faith or Christianity stuff. And, and, and so, God, may it not become about anything else but about the way of Jesus in the world. And give us discernment to know what that looks like. And give us wisdom, God. And so may there be people here today that come to a place of faith for the very first time. May there be people here today that come to a place of of aligning their lives more and more with the kingdom of Christ and the way of Jesus. God, maybe there's some here today who are wise sages, faithful people. God, I pray that you would give them the motivation to come alongside of others and help lead them along the way. And so that we recognize today that Christianity is a received faith that we must give it away, we must pass it along. And so God, wherever we are in our faith journey, we pray that you would challenge us, that you would come alongside of us, that we might be the faithful people of God and have a faithful witness in the world. We give you thanks and we give you praise. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.